This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. The Honolulu Police Department is advocating for changes to our gun laws in light of last month's fatal shooting of two of its officers. As you heard, HPD Chief Susan Ballard took part in a news conference yesterday and implored lawmakers to consider the safety and well-being of our emergency responders in the wake of the shooting at Diamond Head. The Senate and the House is going to be voting on some gun bills. And we're asking them to please, please pass these bills for law enforcement, for all of our public safety, for the safety of our officers, for the safety of the community. These bills are there to make it safe. You're going to hear from different groups that's going to try and throw obstacles in front of these bills, saying, well, if I turn in a gun that's not registered, I'm going to get arrested at the police station. That's absolutely not true. Every obstacle can be overcome. So don't let that be something that's going to keep you from voting for these bills. I'm going to give you two very good reasons why you should vote for these bills. And it's right here on my badge. Our two officers who were killed in the line of duty because of guns. So please, we're asking the Senate and the House to please vote for these bills so that we can make our community safer. We can make our public safety, our officers, our EMS folks, everything. It's the right thing to do. And City Emergency Services Director Jim Howe underscored the dangers that first responders face as a result of gun violence and mental health related issues. Many folks don't realize the risk that our paramedics, our EMTs, and our lifeguards are put at in the performance of their duties. At Hibiscus Drive, two of our paramedics were right there with those three police officers, two of whom didn't leave the area. They were right there as this event transpired. They are the ones who go with our police officers. They are the ones that go into homes on their own into these circumstances and the prevalence of guns, and we've seen more of them coming forward, put our people at risk to the point that we have to begin to think, are we going to be able to continue to provide the very high level of services that we currently provide at the same time being able to protect our employees so that their lives are not at risk unduly. This actually happens on the beach as well. It's not so much with the gun violence on the beach, but our lifeguards are being harassed and they are also being retaliated against for calling police under circumstances with people with mental illness. So there's two things going on here, but I am here to support any effort we can make in our community to ensure the safety of our first responders, to ensure the safety of the community, and you ensure the safety of the community by keeping our first responders safe so that they can quickly and uninhibitedly do their job in taking care of all of you. So please support these bills. And State Senator Carl Rhodes says he is looking to address concerns by opponents of gun control efforts here in Hawaii. One of the arguments that the National Rifle Association makes all the time is that the, the criminals will always ignore the laws. The, that argument is an argument not against gun protection laws only, it's an it's a argument against all laws. No law works 100% of the time. But gun protection laws do work, and one of the reasons Hawaii has had some of the lowest gun violence rates in the country for years is because we have good gun protection laws. The other things that help us is our isolation from states that don't have gun, good gun protection laws. And the other things that helps us is attitude. 
I, I worry that the attitude is changing. I encourage people to continue to try to settle their disputes without pulling a gun out. It's much better for everybody involved. But the other, the other argument there is that there's more guns than people in the islands already. If more guns made us safer, we'd be one of the safe, we'd be an extremely safe place already because there's more than one gun per person already. So Hawaii doesn't need more guns. We need to keep the, we need to keep guns out of the hands of certain people. We need to keep it out of the hands of felons and we need to keep them out of the hands of the seriously mentally ill. And these bills that my colleagues have talked about will help do that. The package of bills, the public safety bills pushed by HPD is up for a floor vote in the House at noon today. Here's Representative Greg Takayama, chair of the Public Safety Committee, with the lowdown on the proposed legislation. There are several bills. I think one of the most important ones is one that's aimed at um, eliminating so-called ghost guns. These are guns that can be ordered online, partially assembled, and then whoever orders them can you know, finish the assembly, using minimal tools, the important thing is they don't have serial numbers on them. And so unless this person who obtains this weapon chooses to uh, register the weapons, they can go around the community with a weapon that's not registered. And this can be used as has been against police officers or anyone else to commit crimes. And so that is a cause of concern, and that is one of the bills that we'll be voting on. Another bill that's uh, engendered much opposition from the gun owners is one that is aimed at reducing the kind of uh, magazine clips that are currently used by rifles. Right now, you can have a magazine clip that can hold uh, 50, 60, 70, 100 rounds for a rifle. Uh, Our proposal would limit such magazines to only 10 rounds, and that's been done in eight other states so far. Um, The reason for the bill is because in every large mass murder in the last 10 years, um, the mass murderer used large capacity magazines to shoot as many victims as they can. Honolulu police uh, requested this bill and they say the only reason, the only opportunity that there really is to interrupt a mass shooting is when the shooter has to stop to reload. And so limiting a magazine to 10 rounds would give them the opportunity to intervene. Um, And that's actually happened in several cases on the mainland. For example, when Congresswoman Gabby Giffords got shot, the shooter had to stop and reload, and that allowed police to intervene and stop what could have been um, a much worse uh, shooting than actually was. And, And these magazines, I mean, really, you know, I mean, folks aren't using them to go hunting, right? Yeah, and, you know, um, a 10-round a clip is still a 10-round clip. You can have 10 rounds of ammunition, and you can have as many clips as you like. It just requires the extra step of reloading. And so we see this as a safety measure that's intended to spare, you know, future lives, the public as well as police officers. Another one that directly stems from the recent Diamond Head shootings involves when someone dies, and that person was a firearms owner, there's really no accounting for the weapons under current law unless the heirs or spouse decides to voluntarily turn the weapons in or uh, register them in in their own name. So this proposed law would require that um, when when an estate is closed, before it can be completely uh, closed, Whoever is the executor of the estate 
has to report any weapons to the police. And the police then have to certify that they're either destroyed or properly transferred to a, a registered owner uh, before the estate can be closed. This is intended to curtail weapons that are unaccounted for in our community. So current law then is kind of silent about this now? Yes, that's right. And that's exactly what happened in the Diamond Head case of Diamond Head when the owner of the house died, had a, a chest full of weapons, and it's still unclear whether any of his weapons were actually used in the, in the actual shootings. But it, clearly they could have been because they were unaccounted for. Right, we don't know if these were like antique guns or... That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, from what I understand, the, the, the fire was so bad that there wasn't it much It destroyed left. practically everything, yeah. Um, and the fourth one has to do with um, purchasing ammunition. This would require that anyone who purchases ammunition has to have a, um, has to be a registered owner of a firearm to obtain ammunition. The reasoning behind this bill is that um, oftentimes people will acquire a weapon illegally through theft or uh, however on the black market. Um, this would require them to, in order to buy ammunition for the weapon, to have a, a permit showing that they're a properly registered owner. I do recall that in the case of the Diamond Head incident that there was a lot of ammunition going off. I mean, I That's was right. there listening to it go off, and at first the people in the park weren't sure you know, oh my gosh, is there gunfire exchange between the suspect and the police? But, yeah. you know, we didn't know at the time that this was ammunition that was just sitting around in the house and it was going off. Yes, that's right. And so I, I don't know that this bill would have directly addressed that, but it is aimed at curtailing the amount of ammunition that is floating around in the community that is not the um, is not properly um, the owned by uh, a registered firearm owner. I think, too, that was a concern for the firefighters, right, the safety of the firefighters. Exactly. That's why they couldn't go in. If I could just add that, you know, people say, and it's true, that Hawaii already has some of the stiffest uh, firearms laws in the country. But the thing is, you know, no place that's had a, a, a mass deadly shooting ever expected to be the scene of a mass deadly shooting. But some places were better prepared than others. And... These measures are intended to take us there, to enable us to be better prepared, to hopefully curtail the loss of future lives uh, unnecessarily. So you've got these four bills. Uh, you'll be voting in on, uh, on this on Thursday. Are there companion bills in the Senate? There are for most, but not all of them. For example, the Senate, for some reason, did not pass out a ghost gun bill. Okay, so then the only vehicle right now would be that. Yeah. which is in the House. Yeah. Any sense as to what might happen when it uh, crosses houses? Well, you know, first things first, and we have to get enough votes to pass them in the House. Um, this doesn't, if they do pass, it doesn't ensure, it does not ensure that they'll be enacted into law. But if they don't pass, it's a bad sign for them passing into law. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the gun owners have a strong and active lobby, and they've certainly made their views known to um, House members. Um, so the thing is, you know, we're just appealing to um, representatives to act in the public safety, and we think these measures would um, be a significant step forward in providing greater public safety for everyone in Hawaii. What can you say about the climate 
that we're in. I mean, given that we've seen so many mass shootings, you know, we just actually marked the uh, anniversary of the Xerox shootings, and you were probably a reporter covering oh, that. Oh, yeah, I certainly was. I remember that. So what can you say about the climate, you know, just because of what we've seen, particularly on the mainland? Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that I point out to everyone is that these large-capacity magazines were actually banned under federal law up until 2004. And then the law that made them illegal um, lapsed. So what's happened since then? I mean, the Virginia Tech shooting happened in 2007. And ever since then, there's been a string of mass murders that seem worse and worse every year that goes by. And so even though no one can directly link the lapse of the federal ban on large-capacity magazines to mass murders, it certainly does seem like there's been an increase in shootings like that. Right, and the whole thing is about prevention, right? I mean, I, I understand the concern that gun owners have and you know about gun rights. Exactly, and we... We recognize the, the Second Amendment right of people to own guns, but it's not an absolute right. And the courts have ruled that um, legislatures at the state level do have the right to act in the public safety so that gun ownership is as safe as possible. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to push for common sense laws that both protect gun owners' rights but also protect public safety. And Can that's I the aim of these. I know this is a little different subject, but, you know, when it comes to um, mental health and gun ownership, I mean, obviously in this case, he, uh, we don't believe that the suspect, the, the gunman, owned those guns, but he also had mental health issues. Uh -huh. is, is there any legislation out there that, that's looking to tighten any of that up? Well, one of the things we've done in recent years is take guns out of the hands of people who are certifiably mentally ill, and this happened two years ago, over the objections, I might add, of the gun lobby. Um, what we did was pass a law that said anyone who's mentally ill has acquired a firearm, the firearm has to be surrendered immediately. Uh, under then current law, the person had a 30-day grace period to surrender the weapon, and anything could have happened in that one month. So we passed a law two years ago that made um, the surrender uh, of such firearms by mentally ill people immediate. And as I said, this was over the objections of the gun lobby. So, you know, even in the case of a common sense gun law like that, we face opposition. So it's, it's not an easy thing to do to pass these laws, but I think it's a necessary thing. And nothing else to be done to tighten other current laws in regard to mental health and gun ownership? Well, at the same time, we're considering gun laws. There will be other laws that other measures that are, are under consideration by the legislature and these are these are aimed at enabling treatment for those who are mentally ill but don't realize they are a danger to themselves or others see right now under current law in order in order for people to be treated involuntarily for their mental illness they have to be a direct threat to themselves uh, or to other people and what this doesn't account for are people who are lying out in the streets um, and suffering in their own neglect. Um, this isn't, these measures that we're considering are intended to bring them in, um, if need be, um, involuntarily treat them uh, for a certain period, 
and then allow them to slowly be transitioned back to the community. Okay, and, and those bills are kind of moving along at this point? Those bills are moving along, and we'll be considering them uh, later in the week. That was a roundup on the House bills uh, up for a vote at noon today. Uh, we sat down with Representative Greg Takayama, head of the House Public Safety Committee, earlier in the week. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, presenting For You Fabulous, Fashionable Women, woodblock prints featuring women from the Edo period in Japan through March 22nd, honolulumuseum.org. Are you free on February 29th? Because HPR is inviting you to lunch, an HPR members-only lunch, that is, at Kimo's in Lahaina, Maui on Saturday, February 29th. We'll celebrate our new frequency, 103.1 FM, Broadcasting HPR1 to West Maui, Molokai, and Lanai. Enjoy great food, get an update on the station, and enter to win HPR logo items. Space is limited, so get your tickets at hprtickets.org. This is The Conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Coming up, your Backyard Quiz. In today's Backyard Quiz, an island snack that we found advertised in the digital marketplace at Amazon.com. The product description is as follows, quote, Important, if you've never eaten this brand of chips, we don't recommend ordering them. The flavor is unique, and they are an acquired taste. These limited-production potato chips have been handmade since 1956 using old-fashioned methods. No two bags are ever alike, unquote. If you prefer to do your shopping in person, you can buy a bag of these kettle chips directly from the production factory located near the Kahului Airport, or you can check with your neighborhood grocer and see if they carry these crunchy chips packed in clear plastic with a red and yellow label. For today's two-part quiz, what's the name of this kettle-style snack, and what are the three ingredients that go into each bag? Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. If you know the answer, the first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Locations, whose Realtors and staff proudly support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawaii's people and places. Locations, welcome home.
Census 2020. We've been hearing a lot about why it's important to make sure you are counted in the count, which happens every 10 years. But the AARP folks want families to know about potential scams that may be out there. It's hosting a telephone town hall event this weekend, primarily around imposter fraud that you may want to know about. Here's AARP's Craig, uh, spokesman, Craig Gima. So one of the things AARP does is we try and protect your money, right? So we have a big, fr- we have a robust fraud program or fraud prevention program uh, called the Fraud Watch Network. And one of the things we've been warning about is census fraud because we know that the scammers are smart and we know that they, w- they, they adapt to whatever is new and whatever is happening. And we just did a, a survey of, um, of people and we found that people were not that aware of the census and not that aware of what the census will do and that's a perfect opportunity for these scammers to, to kind of exploit people's lack of knowledge of things. Right. For example, they will not ask for your Social Security they number. They will not ask for your – the census takers will ask only nine questions. They will not ask for your Social Security number. They will not ask for your bank cards. They will not ask to, for you to go out and buy, uh, uh, I, I, uh, you know, payment cards and, and pay them because, you're, you know, you're facing a fine or something. There's no fines involved with the census. Imposter fraud is the most um, – is the most reported fraud in the Hawaii and in the U.S. That the imposter co- fraud covers like the romance fraud, where someone claims, you know, where you go online and look for um, look for love, and someone takes advantage of that and tries to ask you for money and that kind of stuff. It covers um, the government's government frauds, which would be the census fraud, but also the IRS scam and the Social Security scam. You know, those numbers where they tell you 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 haven't p- done your something or another for the and the government's going to come and address you. Government's not coming to arrest you. You don't have to pay a fine to someone to some stranger over the phone. But you know, it doesn't hurt to reinforce that message all the time because people get caught off guard. You might be doing something, and this call comes in, and for whatever reason, you're more susceptible. You know, they they try and take you off your game when you when they call. They try and frighten you. Or the grandparent scam is a perfect example of that, right? Where they claim that a relative is in, is, been, is in trouble and needs bail money in Mexico or something. You. If you, when you look at it in hindsight, it may, you know, oh yeah, that I shouldn't have done that. But, but in the moment, people get caught, and the, and the people who are most susceptible to frauds are people who think that they're too smart. And there's also the shame factor where folks are, you know, just so embarrassed to admit that they were a victim of a scammer. Yeah, and that's you know, it it happens. It happens to the smartest people, and and you shouldn't be embarrassed about it. So, what is it that people need to know about this event? So this, it's, uh, what we're going to do is what we call a telephone town hall. Um, so there's a, you, if you go to aarp.org slash hi, aarp.org slash hi, like Hawaii, um, we ha- that's our webpage, and we have an article there, and you can also look f- for upcoming events and click there. And it'll tell you how to register to be part of the telephone town hall, or the, if you want to just at 9 o'clock on Saturday, go to Facebook, go to the AARP Hawaii Facebook page. We'll be putting it up on Facebook Live. Okay, and then you're going to bring together some experts to be able to kind of help field people's questions. Yeah, we have Scott Spelina from the Deputy Prosecutor who, for Elderly Affairs at the Honolulu Prosecutor's Office, and we have Amy Nofslinger, who's one of our national experts on fraud, and we'll be talking about imposter fraud, how to protect yourself, how to protect your family, and um, to recognize it and, and you know hopefully not be a victim. And, and so what is it about the elderly that you know folks tend to uh, prey on? So statistically, younger people actually report being victims of fraud more than older people. But the reason that they target older people is older people have more money. 
when younger people lose money, they don't lose as much as older people. Older people tend to lose much more money than, than, than younger people. So they're less likely to be victims or less likely to report the fraud. But when they are victims, they, they, they lose, they, you know, they get, they get taken for more money. Right. And that's their nest egg. That's yeah. what they need to, yeah. to, to exactly. live out their retirement on. Yeah. So you have, you know, that's, a, that, that's another tricky thing is protecting your parents, right? To make sure that they know that, to know, make sure that they're aware of what's out there. It could be something as simple as someone maybe walking up to your front door and, uh, you know, trying to get you to uh, agree to some repairs on your house. These days we concentrate on computer frauds and emails and phone and, and cell phone frauds. But, yeah, that old-fashioned knock on your door, gain your confidence, that's still out there too. Right. Now, hey, Uncle, I can do this for you. Let's yeah. go down to City Mill and then next thing you know. They got your money and you don't have anything. How do we fare here in Hawaii compared, you know, to the national um, statistics? We're actually, you know, in terms of the FTC just came out with their report on, on frauds. Um, imposter fraud is the top fraud in Hawaii. Um, identity theft is second. Um, compared to the rest of the nation, we per capita, we report lower frauds, um, lower numbers of fraud. Um, that could be because people are ashamed. It, it also could be because people are pretty good. I mean, we're, we're, we've been pretty good about letting people know about what's out there. So the it's probably a combination of both, but, but in terms of um, nationwide, we're, we're on the lower end. We're in the bottom 10%, really. Well, what, what do you think that says about Hawaii, though? Hard to know. I mean, you, without doing a little bit more research, I mean, is it is it because people are more shamed? Maybe, but I think it's probably a combination. I mean, I think people are aware, and but it, like, you know, like the census scam, you have to keep upgrading or up you know, increasing your knowledge about fraud. Otherwise, you're going to fall behind because the, the scammers are looking for ways, constantly looking ways to take your money. You have to be constantly looking ways to prevent them from taking your money. You know, over the years, I've done stories about scams, and uh, one that kind of blew me away was someone who asked a coworker to help house it while they were on an extended vacation in Europe. And that person had a party, and then the the guests found out that these people were gone and somehow just moved in, and then basically went through their financial files and opened up all kinds of accounts. And when they would call the number in, in the home to find out, oh, is this blah, blah, blah from this address, the scammers were in the home. And they said, yes, we ordered that. We, we applied for that card. And then the merchandise came to the home. And in that case, I know the the neighbors complain. You're like, you know, some some kind of unsavory characters are in this building, and they actually had people w- walking out of the unit with luggage and all kinds of stuff. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but it, it was it's, one of those. They're so brazen, aren't they? Yes, and it was a catch twenty two though because the the person, the neighbor who called the police, wasn't the resident. The police couldn't so, do anything. Their hands were tied. So one of the things you have to do, and this is just a, a fact of modern life, whether or not somebody lives in your house or they just, you know, you have to assume your identity has been stolen. There have been so many identity thefts, of, I mean, pre- data breaches over the years. It's safer to assume that you're, that someone has your data someplace and they can open credit cards in your name. So what you need to do is monitor your credit. And moni- like if you have the, electri- the, the ability to monitor your, your credit report or your your bank accounts, your credit cards, electronically, you should do it. And just check every week or... That you know, often? I, I think so. Every week, every month. It's, it's quick. You just go on the app, and if you have a passport account, you know, one of those password finders, you can 
it's very quick or face ID you can you can get in and just look at it just to make sure there's no abnormal charges but it's it's be, because of all the computer enha enhancements it is fairly easy to monitor your credit it takes a little bit of effort which is which is sometimes the more difficult part but but it's not that difficult once you get started to keep monitoring your accounts I know of one other case where somebody knew a uh, home was vacant and they diverted the mail yeah and you know opened up credit cards so know. if you can if you're not applying for loans or that kind of stuff the other thing you can do is freeze your credit with the credit reporting agencies and that way if someone tries to open up a fake credit card in your name they can't because your account is frozen now the only drawback to that is that you have to unfreeze it um, if you want to apply for a loan or if you want to get a new credit card right but but safe, you know, the safe way to do it is just freeze it. Another story that I did about mail theft, you go to the mail, the post office, and you check your box for some of the people that still do that, and people would just throw their junk mail and those pre-approved credit cards. Well, someone was actually going into the post office and stealing the garbage and then yeah. had all these names and addresses. So it, they're just, like, really crafty. Yeah, so, so this is what I do, um, and it's, it's, it's a very low-tech way of protecting your identity with all those free accounts. I rip my uh, – when I get those offers, I rip them in three, and I throw them in three different garbage bags. Because if you put it all in the same bag, you can still put it back together again. Right. So I, so I, don't, have a, I don't have a shredder. I, I do have a shredder, but I don't use it. I just rip it in threes and put it in three different bags. Bags, okay. Little, little, little uh, tips to kind of uh, throw off the scammers. Yeah. Anything else that you think is important to underscore for um, for folks, uh, particularly during this census time? Well, the, you know, the census, everybody should sell out the census. The state loses money. We all lose money if uh, people, if we're undercounted. So don't be afraid of filling out the census, but do know that that they're not going to ask for your personal information that, that you can steal your identity with, like your social security number, and they're not going to ask for bank account numbers or credit card account numbers. So be counted in the census. Don't be counted in the... Scam fraud, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Craig. Thank you. That was AARP spokesman Craig Gima warning about census scams. For more details and links to the Saturday imposter fraud event, head to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. It is now time for our dose of rail reality. Honolulu Civil Beat reporter Marcel Henri joins us this morning. Hi there. Hey, Catherine. Happy Thursday. Hey, so a uh, big news conference yesterday, huh? Yeah, pretty big, pretty interesting. Um, this was um, a news conference with Mayor Kirk Caldwell and a few members of his staff and his cabinet regarding rail operations as we uh, supposedly get, get nearer and nearer to interim service starting uh, possibly by the end of the year. That's what they're still hoping for. Uh, they basically announced that last week they signed um, a kind of a more official deal with Hitachi Rail Honolulu uh, for what it will cost for that company at least uh, to to operate the, the rail system once it gets up and running. And we should let our listeners know that Hitachi – uh, took over Ansaldo, right? Because Ansaldo right. was the so, original Right. So, so this is uh, this was formerly Ansaldo, and the name changed when Hitachi purchased Ansaldo a few a few years back. So, when we say Hitachi Rail, we are basically calling 
uh, we're referring to what used to be on Saldo and, and the same company that's been working on rail for the past, uh, you know, under under a decade or so. And so they, this is a company that is both building uh, the they call it the brains and the trains of the system, uh, the driverless trains, the communications and the signaling system. They're designing and building this, but they also have a uh, an opera contract to eventually operate and maintain the system for the first 13 years or so. And so what they did yesterday is they basically refined and updated what that cost is going to be now that we are much closer to uh, service than we were, you know, about 10 years ago when they were looking at these costs. And I can tell you that is um, $918 million over 13 and a quarter years. And it roughly comes out to about $69 million a year. Uh, but also to add another caveat to that, that is not the full cost for what it, what it what it'll take to operate the system year in and year out. It excludes issues like um, security, uh, electricity, the power to, to to you know power the the um, trains running back and forth on the the elevated guideway, and administrative costs and all sorts of other things. Overall, they expect it will cost about 127 million dollars total when you factor in everything uh, to run rail uh, annually on an annual basis. And that's once you have the full system up and running. So that's, you know, the the full 20 mile, 21 station line to all the Moana Center. I know when I was uh, looking around at at the coverage on this issue, I kind of gulped when I saw that it was a hundred million dollars more. But I guess, you know, what, what better data now and Better sense yeah, of what it's and, gonna cost. Right. And to give the, the listeners a sense of what you're what you're referring to there, um, back when they first signed this this mega deal with uh, then on Saldo, now Hitachi, is about one point four billion dollars, and it amounted to about eight hundred and thirty million dollars uh, over the same amount of time to operate. So now we're up to nine hundred and eighteen million dollars. Uh, basically, what they're saying is there are some enhancements that have uh, been, you know, that they added in the process of putting rail together. More personnel at stations, uh, things like that. They're also running four car trains instead of two car trains. Um, so that's kind of the, the general explanation they gave for why it's it's more uh, overall uh, to to Ansaldo and now Hitachi than it was when they they first inked this deal. Okay, so a little Italian and a little Japanese. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. now, how, how does the whole uh, private-public partnership deal work? In is that is that is the big question. It's very it's a it's a good question. What we basically know at this point is that whichever bidder wins on you know this this critical uh, contract to finish the rail and and uh, also to operate it for for about thirty years. Basically, this Hitachi deal will get the, will get lumped into that uh, for whatever whomever the, the winning bidder is. In other words, Hitachi would would essentially work as like uh, a subcontractor to the winning bidder uh, for its operations component. Um, you know, it, it really remains to be seen, I guess, how that pencils out for these bidders who are interested in this thirty-year operations deal, right? How do they how do they profit? What you know? How do they make it pencil out? That's kind of the question. But what we do know for sure is that you know this this component will get lim- lumped in to that uh, that public-private partnership. It was interesting, you know, recently when uh, uh, Hart held their uh, open house. 
at the mm-hmm. new rail station out on the west side. You know, I, I, I was amazed at how many people showed up there. It was really interesting to see. And a lot of folks who maybe wouldn't be on the route just said, well, we want to see what we paid for. <laughs> right. I think, you know, we tend to get, um, you know, uh, just totally mired in the details of this, right? And, and as we, we should, but it really should be stated that, you know, I think there really is a lot of, of interest in what this is going to look like. You're seeing the, the driverless trains running more as they test, you know, in, in Waipahu. So people on the west side are really getting a good sense. And, and yeah, I think, you know, you're going to see uh, maybe some perceptions of this change once, if and when they finally get these, these trains running for okay. the public. Well, we'll see you on the train, Marcel. <laughs> You too. Thanks, Catherine. All right. Thanks so much. That was reporter Marcel Henre with today's reality check. To read the full story, visit civilbeat.org. Hi, my name is Dave Ciano, and I'm the Director of Marketing for Simplicity HR by Altris, and we are underwriters of HPR. Living in one of the most diverse places in the world, I think it's really important to have a variety of thoughts, ideas, and beliefs, and HPR provides Hawaii with content as diverse as our islands. We're proud to be supporting HPR and the diversity they bring to Hawaii. Hawaii Public Radio Underwriting, your message heard here. Aloha! This is Uncle Wayne of Uncle Wayne and the Howling Dog Band, inviting you to join us in HPR's Atherton Studio on Saturday, March 14th. It's a morning of children's music full of aloha and positivity that the whole family can enjoy. Keiki 7 and under get in free, but space is limited, so reserve your spot at hprtickets.org. Sponsored by the Cole Academy Child Development Centers. We spoke with University of Hawaii shark expert Carl Meyer last Friday, and a listener was uh, fascinated with our uh, our Colin show, but she also wanted to express some of her concerns. My name is Susan from the Big Island, and I would like you to ask your guests sometimes, the scientists, whether they ever consider, um, obviously the shark expert did consider the light bothering the sharks at 3,000 feet, but the bottom line is, why do we need to go 3,000-foot depths to explore sharks' habitat? Can't we leave them in their own habitat? Can't we just leave people alone sometimes? I know we're tagging species, we're chasing species, we're capturing species and releasing them, and it's all great to be curious. I think it's wonderful, and I appreciate whatever you're doing to prevent the loss of lives to sharks. But why don't you just leave them alone and ask your questions in ways that can continue to help people? Uh, you, you speculate what they're eating, and that's great, but um, why don't you just let it be a mystery? Maybe they don't know what you're eating every day either. Thanks a lot for listening, and I'd like your interviewer to really challenge some of these scientists beyond the wonder of their curiosity or human curiosity into a way of respecting animals in their own habitat. All right. Thank you for that. You know, we've also been running a series of stories on trash and recycling in the islands. Joe from Maui shares his concerns. Hi, my name is Joe. I'm calling from the island of Maui. I have been a longtime resident on the west side of Maui. 
and I have noticed that the local state parks, such as Laniapoco and Airport Beach, don't have any recycling receptacles near the trash cans. And that seems to be a problem, especially on the weekends when the trash cans are overflowing and the wind picks up and all that trash gets blown into the ocean. Just wondering why the county or the state hasn't taken greater measures to provide recycling, at least for high-five bottles and cans, at the wayside parks. You know, we reached out to Maui County's Department of Parks and Recreation, who said it would forward this concern to its West Maui staff. Uh, The department did not elaborate on its recycling policy there. Uh, Airport Beach, also known as Kahikili Beach, is maintained by the Ka'anapali Beach Resort Association, who we also reached out to, but uh, we did not get a response back. And we also received feedback following our green energy interview with Scott Glenn, CEO of the Hawaii State Energy Office. Hi, my name is Mindy, and I live in Hilo. What about the state helping with higher subsidies for people having solar panels on their houses? I think that would be a really easy way for us to reduce our energy use. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful day. And House uh, Speaker Scott Psyche joined us earlier this week during the legislative recess. Several listeners sent in questions about a bill that would increase the minimum wage gradually to $13 an hour by 2024. Psyche said the joint legislative package with bills on early education, housing, and tax credits would help make Hawaii more affordable for residents. Don Webster did not agree and emailed, tax credits do not allow families to make ends meet. Do the math, please. Hey, thanks for the feedback. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments or thoughts to share, email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org or reach out via social media on Facebook or Twitter or call our Talkback line, 792-8217. Earlier in the show, we told you about a potato chip company It's been around since 1956. Manufactured and packaged in clear plastic bags with a red and yellow label, the words do not expose to sunshine are clearly printed at the top of each bag. According to third-generation owner and operator Mark Kobayashi, that warning exists because the sun's UV rays and heat will soften the chips and make them go stale. The production factory is actually located near Maui's Kahului Airport, The classic recipe is simple. Russet potatoes are sliced, cooked in batches of hot cottonseed oil before getting salted. Those are the three ingredients found in each bag of Maui kitchen cooked potato chips. There are no preservatives, so the maximum shelf life is about a month from processing. Kobayashi also had a culinary tip for adventurous foodies. Try dipping the chips in French vanilla ice cream okay and uh congratulations to Layla from honolulu you got it right that's today's quiz if you have one send it to talk back at hawaiipublicradio.org Heard of the Olelo Jam? Well, it's a novel way to get Hawaiian language learners to test their skills. 
Kalani Bright is one of the driving forces behind a new event that combines popular movie culture and technology in a creative way to engage and challenge students, or Homana. He sat down with us last week to explain what the Olelo Jam is all about. So Olelo Jam is an effort to bring community together for a night of celebrating Hawaiian language. So it's involving technology, community, and the Hawaiian language. So we have uh, four different groups coming together that are each going to be running their kohana, their, their workstations. And we're inviting the community to come in and take a part in doing various different things with Olelo Hawaii, either learning more about Olelo Hawaii or helping to create a movie in Olelo Hawaii or to help to create a game, a way, a way for kids to learn programming through Olelo Hawaii. So there's there, there's actually various different activities that are that are that are there, and we're just hoping people come out and help us create a, a real normalize a little bit in our communities. So I know one of the activities is where you what show a film and then they have to come up and write the captions. Yeah. <laughs> so our, our our group Mana Studios was a purple my uh, purple prize participant, and our project was a Chrome extension called Olelo Flicks. And what it is, is it's a browser add-on that you can use to watch movies in Olelo Hawaii. And if the movie doesn't exist on Netflix in Olelo Hawaii, you can crowdsource, translate it. And uh, currently you can just do the captions, but we're, we're looking to add audio dubbing on, on top of the Netflix movies. Wow, that's pretty challenging. So you need to be a Netflix subscriber, obviously, to go uh, into the, the site. We're not doing anything violation of copyrights or anything like that. So you, you, as long as you're a Netflix subscriber you, and you, you have the extension, you can go in and watch and crowdsource translate. I mean, that's pretty terrific. I mean, I know just as a moviegoer, when they have the special screenings for the hard of hearing, you know, and you've got the, the subtitles, you know, or if it's a foreign film and you've got the subtitles, it's really, uh, I find it helpful. <laughs> I enjoy watching films like that. So this is just a, a little different uh, a way to, to get folks into the Hawaiian language. Yeah, so for for me, it's like people have different reasons. Like you, you might just want to watch films in Olelo Hawaii. You, you, you might feel that there's not enough movies for your kids in Olelo Hawaii. They might be into Avengers, you know, Marvel movies, or and they're not available in Olelo Hawaii. So it's really to kind of address the, the situation of when you leave, you know, your, your immersion school, what are all those aspects that takes you out of your, your language? And we're trying to change that. Yeah, make it fun. <laughs> make it make it fun, exactly. Do you have a lineup of films that you'll be testing the kids out on? Uh, we had two uh, suggestions from uh, Kayapuni uh, students. Uh, one was Shira, Princess of Power, and the other one was Troll Hunters, Tales of Arcadia. We're looking at actually doing several more. We're thinking about Mowgli, based out in the Jungle Book. We're looking at Netflix originals uh, because we had an unfortunate incident where the uh, crowdsourced Thor and that moved to Disney Plus. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're looking to start with Netflix originals. This is the first time that you folks have done this? Uh, this is the first time ever. It is, it is a little bit uh, nerve-wracking for me. <laughs> Venturing into the unknown. <laughs> No, but give you folks credit for for coming up with the idea and uh, just challenging people. Yeah, it originally started from the idea of doing interactive books. So we're looking at inserting that same sort of technology of being able to see the gra grammatical structure and, and uh, word meaning uh, by watching movies. And so if you are unfamiliar with what just got said, you can you can you can tap the tap the the movie and and and, and pause it and, and look at what the actual structure of the grammar would be. 
So that's one of the features we're looking at for, especially for immersion parents who are still learning Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, it, it's such a fun way to learn. Yeah. And um, now, um, gosh, is this modeled after some other country and some other uh, indigenous language where they've done something like this? Uh, I'm not familiar with, uh, I, I do know that there was a um, crowdsourced site uh, for Korean dramas called Viki. I'm not familiar with any uh, indigenous effort like this. What else can folks look forward to uh, at this level, Jam? So uh, Purple Maya is Manu, is the youth coordinator, and he is involved in teaching programming. He uses a, a way to learn coding through gaming, and it's an online site called Code Combat. He's converted to be Code Home Mana, and so he's relative, uh, relevant to the islands and you know more more local art. Uh, and they're looking to translate that into a little Hawaii so the, the kids can actually learn programming, go through all the course material that's on Code Combat in a little Hawaii. It's raising the bar for their technical skills yeah. and okay. then also raising the bar on the language as well. Is there a fee for this? Or? Uh, uh, everything's free. You know, we're looking at increasing awareness and hopefully it can expand to other languages as well. That was Kalani Bright talking about the Olelo Jam event set for this Saturday. Find out more on hawaiipublicradio.org. it up for today. Up tomorrow, Noe Tanigawa takes you into the weekend for an Aloha Friday show devoted to culture and the arts. Give us some feedback. Got questions about the coronavirus or anything else you may have heard on our air? Call our Talkback line. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Connect with Facebook and Twitter. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.